Hello and welcome to the Life Unscripted podcast, the podcast that invites you to break free from the ordinary and embrace the extraordinary journey of self-discovery and empowerment. Join us as we dive deep into conversations with experts, thought leaders and real people, sharing their insights, stories and practical tips to help you navigate life's challenges and seize its opportunities. So whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, your daily workout or your quiet moments of reflection, get ready to embark on an incredible journey of self-discovery and transformation. Go and hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode and join us as we create lives that are authentically ours, unscripted and limitless. This is Life Unscripted and your story starts now. Good morning Mike. Morning Scott, how are you? I'm good thank you, yourself? Well thank you. Um, Can you introduce yourself for me please and for everybody that's listening yeah hi my name is mike helkins i'm an emdr therapist who works predominantly with people with a, with a whole range of emotional issues including ptsd trauma anxiety depression um, and anything really where their life feels stuck and can you explain what emdr therapy is for anybody that don't know yeah, absolutely, for sure. EMDR therapy stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Uh, it's a therapy that was developed in the late 1980s by a lady called Francine Shapiro, which fundamentally uses the words eye movement, which is the EM, uh, desensitization, reprocessing. So what does that mean? Uh, well, fundamentally, Eye movement replicates our very natural state of REM sleep. Now, REM sleep is when we naturally at night, behind your eyelids, your eyes are moving really, really fast, and you're processing the feelings and emotions of those things that have happened to you. So, I'll just talk about the ear. What that does for people is fundamentally, if we've got an old story, whether that's traumatic or something that's happened to us in life, that still got a feeling attached to it when we go back and revisit that. By using eye movement, we replicate the very, very natural state of REM sleep. So if I was to say, I don't know, let's use something simple. I uh, had a fear of snakes. And when I see a snake, I get a feeling that's an intensity of about 10 out of 10. A bit like a pain score when you go to the doctor. By going into that fear, um, we can turn down that feeling, which is what the D stands for, desensitization. So it's the feeling that's the problem. It's the feeling that we have when we see something. So by using eye movement, we replicate REM sleep, which is when we should naturally process feelings and emotions. So by using eye movements, we can turn down those feelings and emotions that are linked to that old story. Because and then the R is the reprocessing part, so that when we've turned down that feeling, we can then sever that old neuro pathway, so that the next time we encounter that problem, albeit if the snake in that simple example, we won't have that strength of feeling anymore. So it's incredibly good at removing old feelings from old stories. Now, whether that's a snake, or whether you've been sadly abused as a child, whether that's mentally, physically, or sexually, we have to change those old feelings. And I know through personal experience, not just as a therapist, but as a recipient, there is no better tool than EMDR for doing that. No. I mean, I've had, I've had experiences with you, and um, an example is my daughter. She um, used to be really frightened 
of dogs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we got recommended to you because um, she used to, she'd see a dog and she used to, you know, she'd jump at me like a monkey and be frightened and scared. And um, we couldn't really pinpoint like why. Or I know there was one, there was one time when we was, she was at the park. I was at the park with her when she was younger, and her, she still had that fear of dogs before this. But then, like a dog sort of was near her, and I didn't. I didn't want to alarm her that the, you know or let her know that there was a dog near her she turned round and the dog actually sort of like jumped which obviously strengthened her fear correct but then she come to you from a recommendation and her just from one visit her fear is like is gone Do you know she's still aware but she's got that awareness that that she's not fearful of dogs anymore which is you know it's just amazing and that's just one one visit yeah, and that's that's a great example of what your daughter had was a was a fear stuck in her unconscious mind from from old events, something that had happened to her, and then something happened again. So fundamentally, when that event happened in real time, she will have experienced an emotion, and we need to experience those emotions because if those emotions are there to keep us safe and get us out of the way, we need to experience those emotions. So I'll use an even simpler example. When I was a kid and I was riding my bike and I fell off, my hands go out in front of me. I didn't do that. My whole nervous system does that to stop me hitting my head. So that's our natural fight and flight mechanism in action. So your daughter will have felt an emotion. What should have happened is when she went to sleep at night, that emotion should have processed out. For some reason, it's got stuck. That then forms a part of her unconscious that will form the basis for her triggers. So the next time she sees a bike, uh, uh, not a bike, sorry, a dog, the next time she sees a dog, that will come in through a sensory system, hit a hardwired part of her brain called the amygdala, which is our guard dog. It's always looking out for danger. Anybody who's worked with anxiety, everybody talks about the amygdala. It's all about calming the amygdala. The amygdala then goes and looks at her unconscious mind, which fundamentally is a database. And it goes, dog's good or bad? In her database, it says bad. That then fires a message to her adrenal glands. That throws adrenaline and cortisol in her body to put her into fight, flight, or freeze and gives her the ability to jump four foot in the air and wrap herself around you to keep herself safe. So by using eye movement, we remove that fear from that old story so that that trigger has now been removed because we've removed the feeling of fear from the initiating memory, hopefully or any subsequent memories. Therefore, the trigger gets removed. So whether you're afraid of a dog, whether you're afraid of a mad axeman, or indeed I had a lady once who was afraid of Maltesers. <laughs> and, you know, people, you know, I laughed when she said it, but when we thought, if I got a packet of Maltesers out, she damn near went out the window. It was a phobia, you know, it was massive. There was a huge trigger, a whole body would shake. She had no idea where that came from. And that was a trivial thing we were working on in amongst a whole lot of bigger stuff. But she said, yeah, I don't understand it. So when we do EMDR, we drop to a natural state of REM sleep, which is actually a quite a subconscious state because when we're asleep, we're not in a logical state of mind. We're in that dreamy state, which allows the unconscious to reveal to us the story. It's a bit like people talk about hypnotic regressions. Uh, so you can go and find old stuff. It will appear in EMDR quite similarly. That particular memory, she was five years old, sat in the back of a car, eating a packet of Maltesers. What was going on in front of her was her mum and her partner, mum's partner, the child, having a violent row. So the Malteser became part of the trigger. 
She had no idea what it was. As soon as we reframed that story by using EMDR and her five-year-old now felt safe, she got happily chomps on a packet of Maltesers now. But the, the point is, to the unconscious, it doesn't matter. Because the consequence of a Malteser to her was violence to the mind because it's simplistic. It doesn't have time to analyze. It just does. Because its job is to keep you safe and keep you alive. So it won't think it'll just do. Which is why sometimes so people come to me and say, I'm having sort of random panic attacks. I've got no idea why I had a panic attack. And it's probably they were stood in the kitchen washing their hands and a piece of music came on or something came on that's completely in the background. You're not even aware of it, but it's triggered you. You then get that feeling of anxiety to start with. And then that feeling builds a little bit more and you're thinking, what's that? Where's that coming from? And then the feeling turns up because you've got no idea what the danger is. So you, you start looking around and you know, what's going on, what's going on, and then the feeling turns up a bit more. Then the adrenaline starts to pump and the blood starts to pump out your heart. And then you think you're having a heart attack, then you have a panic attack because you think you're going to die. Yeah. I mean, that's funny because my partner, we've, we've sat on the sofa watching TV and all of a sudden she's she's paused it and she's gone, I'm just, you know, I just feel like... I'm having a panic attack or, you know, like anxiety or like something's triggered. I mean, you know, just we, nothing's happened. We're not spoke to each other. We're just sitting there watching TV. But it's just, yeah, it's just... It's quite, an innocuous trigger. Yeah. You, you don't... I also, I, the best way I can explain it is if you took a, a, a situation, like you're a good citizen, you're walking down the road one day and a dog jumps over a wall and bites a little boy. There's a lot of screaming. There's a lot of blood. So in that moment, you will experience emotions. You're a good citizen, you take, you pull the dog off the little boy, both the mums come out, everything's okay, you carry on with your day. So that event has happened. If that event doesn't process in your mind, let's say six months later you're walking down the road and you love dogs. And there's someone walking towards you with a dog and you step in the road. You've got no idea where you stepped in the road and then you think, oh yeah, that dog did look like the dog that bit the little boy. So you've, you've triggered Four or five weeks later, you're walking down the road. There's not a soul in sight. It's a beautiful sunny day. You're walking the road again. Now, this time, you've got no idea why you walked in the road. It's because you've just walked past a wall that looks like the wall that the dog jumped over when he'd been the little boy. You think the, the, think the dog's coming. Ten years later, you're sat on the beach with your lovely wife having a, having a in a deck chair. You have a full-blown panic attack. You've got no idea why you had a full-blown panic attack you're looking at the sea. A little boy had just walked past that looked like the little boy that was bitten by the dog. So fundamentally, yeah. that's how triggers work. They can be, because the unconscious works so fast, it doesn't do exact pattern matches. It doesn't analyze the situation. It just does. Yeah. And then you get this feeling and then that feeling just keeps turning up and turning up and turning up. And then, then you, you panic because it's such an intense feeling in the body. You know, when people talk about cases like complex PTSD, they've got multiple triggers from multiple events. You know, PTSD tends to be one big event with multiple triggers because it's such a big event. The mind can't process it. It's got no chance. So what it does is it segments it into like a little movie clipping effect and you end up with sights, sounds, smells. Most triggers tend to be sensory because that's how we operate. Mm. We'll smell it, we'll think about it, we'll hear it. It's the sensory system. That's, that's firing all this. So we have to, if we don't reframe those stories at an unconscious level, which is what EMDR is so good at, 
you know, no neuroscientist can actually prove completely how it works. No one actually fully knows. And I think it's because it's a mixture. Because we're using eye movement, we're going from side to side or diagonally. We're, we're replicating REM sleep. But what we're doing, we do know it's bilateral stimulation. We're going left brain, right brain, left brain, right brain, left brain, right brain. And when we're in a heightened state of anxiety or emotion, we're either highly in our left brain, which is logic. We become highly analytical about the situation. People call it overthinking. Or we become highly emotional. So we're either we're probably either end of that spectrum. So I think, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but by going left brain, right brain, it starts to pull that perspective back to a more sort of narrower balance of emotion and logic. So we start to feel okay, rather than being at the extreme. Now, the other thing, the reason I think people can't actually prove how it works totally is because when we work with our unconscious, it's a highly creative, imaginative mind and isn't measurable by a machine. So, you know, that's why science can't say, right, it's this that makes it work. It just does, because I think it it mixes science with the highly creative part of us, which is our unconscious mind. It's the part of us that comes up with new ideas. It's see, it can help us see things differently. So I think it's a mixture of the two that work together. You know, people say they call it sort of, it's magic when it works for them. You know, that feeling, you know, that feeling so strong in their body. And then by, when we've done the EMDR, like, I just don't feel it anymore. And it's that rapid. So who is um, EMDR therapy sort of aimed at? Like the trauma, anybody? With- yeah, it's a real broad. It, for me, you know, clinically, it's recommended by National Institute of Clinical Excellence, uh, NHS, World Health Organization, for PTSD, trauma, and anxiety. In my view, and in my practice, it works for so much more. So, you know, anxiety, anxiety, PTSD, and trauma, obviously, is a learned behavior because something has happened to you, you've learned from it, it's a learning, it's become a trigger. So you weren't born with anxiety. You're not born with PTSD. It's learned. It has to have been learned. So we can't unlearn it and reprogram the unconscious mind, which is a database. But for me, it worked, you know, most things are based in anxiety anyway. A fear, you know, a phobia is anxiety. It's, you know, it's just a word, it's fear. And I have a very simple view. Every negative emotion has to have fear at its root. If you've got anger issues, fundamentally it's because you're afraid. You're afraid of something because you won't be angry if you weren't afraid. It's your natural response. So people say, you know, anxiety, PTSD, and trouble, but you know, I work with people with anger, I work with people with depression and sadness. You know, it's a little bit controversial to say this, I guess, but if you look at bereavement or grief, grief is a, you know, a very complex emotion, I think, you know, and we're all very different how we grieve, but fundamentally, based in fear. Because my view is you're afraid of that person not being in your life anymore because they served a purpose for you and not a nice purpose or a good purpose. So that's fundamentally, you know, I think a lot of grief is based in fear. Who am I without that person? So EMDR is really good. What EMDR is really good at is is getting you out of logic because logic won't solve the problem. Getting you into your unconscious state to help you solve the problem not me solve your problem to help your mind help you give you the perspective that you need 
And when you change your perspective, you change an emotion. EMDR, anybody who's feeling, I'm gonna keep using the word yeah. feeling, anybody who's feeling out of sorts can, can have EMDR. You don't have to have PTSD, trauma and anxiety. Yeah. And what's beautiful about EMDR, and you know what, I don't wish to sort of go, it's great for guys, because you don't even have to tell me what the problem is. This isn't hours of talking therapy. I don't need to know what the problem is. As long as you know what the problem is or what the feeling is, I just need the feeling. I don't need the story. So if you're a bit embarrassed about something, I don't need to know. Because all I'm going to get you to do is think about it or go back to that situation to get that feeling back up. So once that, if I can get rid of that feeling, the problem's okay, isn't it? If you don't have the feeling, you're okay. So, you know, I work with some complex things, some not so nice things. But actually people say, well, how do you do this job? You know, day in, day out, day in, day out. Actually, I don't listen to the story most of the time. They don't need to tell me. You know, if you've sadly been, for example, sexually abused, somebody could just, all I need to know is, I don't need to know anything. What they tend to do, because we just work with bubbles, people put phrases that mean something to them on a piece of paper. And I just use that as our frame of reference. So I'll just say red room. I don't know what happened in the red room. You do. I don't need to. So, and it's that rapid. It's, it's, and it's that simple in terms of, I don't, if people want to talk, of course I want to talk. It's not a secret society. It's not cryptic, but it's just fundamentally giving you the protection you want. You've probably spent a number of other therapy sessions with talking therapists talking about it anyway. You don't want to keep telling your story. The MDR saved my life. I can guarantee. I, you know, I absolutely say that out loud. Mm. And I didn't have to tell the person anything. I just wrote things down, and, and I knew what they were. They didn't need to know. So it's beautiful for people who are kind of reticent for therapy because you don't have to tell me anything. I mean, I know the stigma around therapy is sort of. It's getting better and I think a lot of people are, uh, are more susceptible to working on themselves but I think men still have that little there's a little bit of a stigma oh, around that sure. but what you've just explained there is for somebody that say they don't want to go to a talking therapist they can come to you and like you say just write down these triggers and the feelings yeah. and you don't need to know they don't need to tell you the whole story and sometimes I don't even need to know what, because you won't know what the trigger is you, don't, you won't know what caused it, but you've just got a feeling. It's the feeling that's the problem. And we can just work with the feeling because behind every feeling, I can guarantee you there's a story because you wouldn't be, the feeling, the emotion wouldn't be coming up if there's not a story sat there in the background. Now we can, by EMDR fundamentally is just putting you into an unconscious state to help you find the solutions. So, they'll just start to appear because the job of the unconscious mind is twofold, to help you and protect you. So it will help if we allow it to help. It's a bit like your gut instinct. Your gut instinct sits in your unconscious. It always tells you what's right by a feeling in your gut, funnily enough. What do we do? Ignore it. Or we overthink it. Or we let another emotion in the way. Well, I can't do that because I feel guilty. It's always right. How often do you get ever wrong? Never. So that's how powerful your unconscious mind is at guiding us. We just allow other stuff to block that. Yeah. So if your gut tells you something, and you you recognise it, but then you think, 
and then you start like you say I start overthinking it you can talk yourself out of it and yeah, think what, it's called what you, if yeah <laughs> it's yeah. called what if yeah and what if is you know you, especially when you go back to the sort of men and therapy remember all of us are conditioned we're conditioned we're conditioned we're conditioned so my dad your dad and probably most people's dad said suck it up son be a man and and in a, to a point, they're right. We've got to get on with us. And sometimes you damn well got to lean into fear. You know, you've got to come out of the corner. But if you're not strong enough, physically or mentally, to come out of that corner, you're going to be pushed back into that corner and pushed back into that corner. So you've got to change those perspectives. So all of our beliefs are based on conditioning. And all of us, are, you know, don't cry. Don't cry. You know, I show... I don't know, it's just because of how I am, but that is actually how emotion comes out of me. Whether it's good, whether it's positive emotion or negative emotion, it tends to come out in tears for me. I'll cry with joy. You know, I'm going to the Saints this afternoon. Hopefully I'll cry with happiness when they win. But that's how it comes out of me. It just is what it is. I can't stop it. We all know that when those tears come at a strong point, you've got no chance. All that is is emotion coming out. Think of emotion like this. E-motion. Energy in motion it's just energy that needs to come out of your body at that moment in time and that's what i say to all the people that work with me my room is a room of emotion my room is about releasing old emotions from old stories and if you release those old emotions they're not there bothering you anymore and they're not driving old patterns of fear a bit like the boy with the dog now if we process that out every boy could walk past you on the beach for example that needs to go, otherwise those triggers will still be there. The unconscious mind talks us through feelings. It talks to us through emotions and it uses chemicals to do that in the body. So we all know about endorphins. When we laugh, we get endorphins. It gives us a good feeling. When we see something that we don't like, we get a bad feeling. That's adrenaline and cortisol normally because it's putting us into fight and flight fast action. So if we change the feelings, we change the chemicals and then we don't get the we don't get the reactions that we get. So, for example, if somebody's got like uh, if somebody's got anger issues, and they recognise that they're angry at, and but they don't really know what's causing that. Then, if they come and see you, I mean, we can uncover the yeah. story. We need to. We need to. If you, fundamentally, what we're always looking for is what's the root, what started this. Often, that's in childhood, because when we're children, we're like sponges. And that's because of our brainwave activity when we're a child. Because just to explain that, we have five real main brainwave activities. Gamma, we're in fight and flight as human beings. The, the, the mind's taken over. Nothing, no other information is coming in. We're just being kept safe. Um, beta, logic. You and I are in beta brainwave right now because we're logical. We're having a conversation. You're analysing what I'm saying. I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. Logic's sort of protecting us from whether we choose to believe that or not believe that. Alpha, daydream. We will have daydreams all day long. Sometimes, you know, we go off somewhere else. We're in an alpha brainwave activity. Theta, just before we go to sleep, just after we wake up, sort of feeling that sort of in and out, in and out, real, real daydream, real imagination state. Uh, and then delta, deep, deep sleep. So kids predominantly are in alpha and theta, particularly when they're young, because they don't need logic. They don't need this analytical brain blocking. They just don't need it. You know, a 
give a kid a brick, it's an aeroplane, it's a train, it's a car, it's a whatever. You and I, it's a bloody brick. Fundamentally, now we kill that imagination in children, but actually that's why you're highly susceptible to suggestion when you're a child, because you haven't really got that critical thinker when you're young to sort of go, nah, that's rubbish. So you really can have ideas planted into you. It's kind of, it's how a suggestive hypnotherapist works because they take you to an alpha or even a theta brainwave activity so we can give the mind suggestions, not instructions, and allow the mind to either accept or reject those. But as a child, you haven't got that. You know, you just fundamentally, you believe everything. And then the mind accepts it that will then form a pattern to protect you in the future, potentially. Mm. Or if you were abused as a child, that will, you know, if you grew up watching anger in your parents, it's a learnt behaviour. You learnt it from your parents, you learn everything. You know, or going back to that, you know, the guy thing, be a man, it's a learnt behaviour. Mm. Because your dad told you it, of course it's true. Yeah. Your dad told you, or a doctor told you. Or someone who was credible to you told you, so you believe it. And you've got no filter yet when you're a child. As we get to adults, there's a bit more, there's a filter there. We've got, we've got logic a lot more because logic's conditioned into us. I was reading a book the other few months ago. I can't remember the name of the book. But it said 99% of children enter school are creative genius because they're in that brainwave activity. 1% leave because we've conditioned that out of them. Yeah. And life and the environment around us, you know, work hard to get more, work hard to get more, work hard to get more, it's a belief. Mm. It's just a belief. Yeah, it's, it's crazy when you talk about, it's, yeah. It's, it's, Everything's a pattern. Yeah. Um, what made you become an EMDR therapist? It's very simple. Um, I think, you know, this is what I say to everybody, sometimes you have to fall to grow. So, what am I now? About 16 years ago, I fundamentally crashed and burnt, um, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So I had a 30-year corporate career. Um, I live life at 100 miles an hour. Um, I probably did everything that you shouldn't do, uh, if, you, if you're into wellness now, which I now am. But you know, I drank, I smoked, I partied, I worked 80 hours a week. You know, I, I, you know, and I was a bit of an asshole to be honest, as well at the time. Uh, and then some, that was my life, so I was burning my body hard anyway. And then along the way, there was a few little bits of what you now call trauma, because trauma really for me is just an emotional disruption. It's not as big as it, you know, it doesn't have to be having your legs blown off, or trauma is just at a time your emotions have got severely disrupted. Then some trauma came along into our lives, and I tipped. I was full, I, you know, I'd got no capacity to deal with anything. And, you know, I used to laugh back in whatever it was when you heard about people getting conditions like ME and yuppie flu and all those sort of things. It, my body put me to bed for six months. I could not get out of bed. I couldn't walk. I tried to walk out the front door, my whole body would shake in fear. Now I understand all that. What it was was my system said, for Christ's sake, don't go outside soon because something really bad's going to happen to you. So my whole, I was constantly in fight and flight. Mm. These conditions like ME and what, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, that's just the body keeping you in the house to keep you safe. It's doing its job because you haven't listened. I ignored every sign 
in my life. So fundamentally, I crashed and burned. Uh, I was offered, I'm going to be honest with this, I was offered all the traditional pills and all the kind of stuff. I, I fundamentally refused them because I knew that wasn't going to be my answer. I'm not saying I'm one way or the other opinionated on it. That's just my personal point of view. Um, and, you know, if medication gets your head above the parapet, if you're in a bad place, because I was in a very, very dark place, that's fine. But they're only ever going to be a stick in plaster because they're not solving the fundamental problems, which is the old stories and the old feelings that were driving all of this fear in my body. So I probably spent 12, 16 weeks with probably the best OCD therapist I still know today. The guy's incredible. His knowledge was off the scale. And I used to sit in these therapy sessions and he'd be explaining all the things that I now understand. I have got a clue what he was talking about. I just used to sit there numb. I've got no capacity to take on any new information because I was just so full. And I used to come out and I'd do the things that he told me to do, like meditate and mindfulness and all the things to try and calm my body down. He's absolutely right. I just couldn't because I was still full of those old stories with old feelings. And then one day I happened to have the radio on, funnily enough, and I don't know why, I had Radio Northampton on. And a guy came on, um, I think it was on the Bernie Keith show or something, and was talking about EMDR. And I knew that trauma is what had tipped me because my traumas were pretty severe. The, the things that had gone on in our family life. So I knew that trauma was part of it, but I had no idea how to release trauma or how to release old emotions. So I thought I'll go try it. Fundamentally, it changed my life. Because once we'd gone through and released all of that old, for want of a better word, crap, mm. I then got my headspace back. And when I got my headspace back, the guy that I'd been seeing for 16 weeks, I looked back and I went, oh, that makes sense now. Everything now makes sense. I now need to, I've gone through, what I describe people, EMDR to as a people, it's an emotional detox. You know, we need to clear out, we need to clean down, and we need to go back to that point of almost like our authentic self, how we were born, if we can get to that point. Because when we've got that headspace, we actually enter a phase called post-traumatic growth which is where our mind and our brain is almost going back to that childlike activity where we're highly susceptible to new suggestion. So when you clear the stuff out, you really need to jump on reprogramming yourself because otherwise the old stuff might start to reset again, old beliefs, old ideas, old behaviors. And it changed my game. And, and that's why I do it as my, I will always, if someone, you know, I'm a clinical hypnotherapist as well. But if people come to me to give up smoking, I won't do that work until I've cleared out what's driving them to smoke. If there's old stresses or old stuff like that. Now, I was a 40 to 50 a day smoker. When I cleared all my stuff out, never smoked another cigarette. I didn't need them. Mm. Because this is the power, I always use smoking as a great example of the power of the unconscious mind. If you tell yourself something has a benefit, and it goes into your unconscious because the other job of your unconscious is to help you. So if I told myself smoking makes me feel better, okay? Logically, a person that smokes 20 cigarettes a day, filter cigarettes a day, is spending, I think, about 4,000 pounds a year on something you burn 
that kills you. It's the most ridiculous thing when you say it out loud. Logically, every smoker knows that. Logically, consciously, every smoker knows that. However, you've told yourself it makes yourself feel better, so you just do it. The unconscious thinks it's helping you. That proves that it doesn't analyse, it doesn't think, it just does. So if you don't break the stuff that's driving that and break that belief, you know, I use everything with people, I like a pain score. I'll say, how much does it bother or affect you between zero and 10? First number that comes into your head because the unconscious will tell you the answer. So we use simple things about, I don't know, maybe a cocaine addict. I'll say, how much does it bother or affect you if you never had a line again? And they'll be like, 10, shit, I thought I was ready. No, you're so afraid of that not being in your life anymore. The unconscious is going, who are you going to be without it? I keep you safe. I look after you. I make you happy. So it's all about fear. Everything is about fear. We do everything through fear. Yeah. It's like, say, look, going back to the, like a cocaine, um, having cocaine an addiction is sort of like, so their, their fear is, am I going to be as fun? Yeah. Am I going to miss out? On a night out if I don't take cocaine and they're... Right. And they don't think they're going to be... Yeah, fundamentally, you're killing yeah. yourself. Yeah. Same with alcohol, isn't it? You know, I, you know I'm, I'm an ex-rugby player. I was a big drinker. You know, it's cultural. I learned to drink when I was in rugby clubs at five years old. You know, I watched it. I observed it. It was the thing to do. You know, I'm not, I wanted to be like one of those men. You know, it was kind of, it, it's, it's what I learned to do. And, you know, who was I without alcohol? My whole personality was my identity. You know, you start, you're giving up your identity. Yeah, so you think you're taking that out, you're taking your identity away, you think you're becoming... You're afraid. Uh, yeah. Who am I without? A massive question, who am I without this? Yeah. You ask yourself that question, who am I without this? And everybody goes, oh, I'm free. No, listen to the unconscious answer. Mm, you're lonely. Or you're not who you thought you were. That's why change is hard, because unconscious patterns are very hardwired and very pregnant. So... Unless you work at an unconscious level, you won't change it. If that part of me that was five years old, I'll go back to alcohol, that learned to drink doesn't understand what I now need it to understand at 56, it will just carry on doing it. It will still think it's giving me that macho identity or confidence or whatever role I've given it. And I'm quite honest about this now, but you know, whatever they diagnose me with is kind of irrelevant, but you know, when I crashed, it was physical fatigue and physical pain. Now, they now call that fibromyalgia. It's just my body keeping me safe. I don't care about the label. It's actually just doing a job. But what I'd done, which I didn't know, and I found out later in life, unwittingly in my childhood, is I'd given pain a job. And it only came to me a few years ago, and an image came to me of being carried off a rugby field when I was a child when I was a child and what was interesting about that image when I thought why have I just been shown that because your unconscious is always telling you stories if you learn to listen you learn to watch and I thought to myself you idiot on that day I wasn't injured I just wasn't playing very well so I found an injury on that day, I gave pain a job. Pain got me out of situations. So therefore, pain now is sat in my unconscious going, ah, I'll turn up if you want me to, when you're not, when you're not you know, perceiving that you're doing your best. And that's how dangerous doing things are. I didn't realise that. No one, really, no one taught me this stuff when I was a kid. You know, we're educated completely the wrong way, in my opinion. 
Mm, I agree. We're yeah. conditioned, we're conditioned. We're not taught about emotions. We're not taught about the impact of our behavior on our future. We're not taught, taught about the impact. You know, we're not, it's getting better. Kids are far more aware of their emotions now. But if you give something a job, it will do it. You know, I work with a guy and he got random panic attacks. Apparently random. They're not random because they have to. Something has to trigger it. But when we worked it through, there'd been a few events in his life, and they tended to be around a pattern of either kind of the general sense of being trapped or controlled. When we finished the session, because I'm I'm really I love what I do because I just meet people that do so many different things, and I find it fascinating what people do in life. And um, we were chatting. I said, "Well, how did you learn to do the job?" That you now do. He was an he was an engineer on aeroplanes and trains, big stuff. I thought, oh wow, that's interesting. He said, I was in the RAF. I said, oh, cool. How long did you serve? He said, oh, not long. I said, no, what was that? Like jokingly, he sort of said, oh, do you, what'd you get? Dishonorable discharge or something? He said, no, I hated it. So what didn't you like? I didn't like being trapped in control. Well, I didn't say anything. It's not my job to solve the problem. Ah, so what'd you do then? He said, I'll play the stress card. I had X amount of months out. I got my apprenticeship, or I got my qualification, sorry, but then I, then I got out. So I got paid for eight, nine months, got my qualifications, got out, carried on doing my job. About three days later, I didn't say anything, about three days later he ran me up, and excuse my language, he just went, fuck. Now on the phone I went, what do you mean? He said, this is all my fault, isn't it? I went, mm-hmm. He realised what he'd done, he'd given stress a job in that situation. So then, as like in life, as he feels trapped to control, who turns up? Stress and anxiety. Which then turned into panic because he didn't know why he was afraid. So it's very, we can form those, I'm not saying everybody does this, but we can very innocuously, um, so we have to change that story. And what EMDR is really powerful about is about going into that stuff and reprogramming or reprocessing the, that information an unconscious level to change our patterns mm. I don't know if this is kind of related but it just sort of come into my mind that I work outside I'm very amazed at how our body can you know control us and mm-hmm. do what it needs to do I don't ever get ill I can't remember the last time I had a cold or flu or anything like that I used to think it's because I work outside which obviously going to help with the oh, benefit massively. side of it but I think me being like a sole provider in my home, I don't think my body lets me be ill because it can't, because it, I, I can't have a day off of work. So I don't know. I mean, do you I, agree I, with that? I think or, I, you're right. You work outside, you know, fundamentally that is healthy. We as human beings are not built to be in boxes. We're not built to be in houses. We're actually built to be outside. You know, our body, our body enjoys that environment. So that's, that's healthy. Number one. Number two is what you've just told me is you have a belief. You have a fundamental belief that you never get ill. That's your belief. Your belief will become your reality. Your beliefs, whether they're positive or negative beliefs, they become your reality. So you've just said, I never get ill. You won't. I said, you know, the other side of my business, the clinical hypnotherapist, I work quite a lot with weight, obviously. And I will say to those people, how many people do you know that say, I can eat whatever the hell I like and I'm always thin. And they go, yeah, they're really annoying, aren't they? And they go, no, just what they believe. 
Yeah, it's it's just what they believe. I, I said, it doesn't mean they're healthy. They might be in a load of crap, but actually they'll be thin because that's their belief system. They're the belief system are the roots of your tree. If you think of a tree and you go like emotions or symptoms are like the leaves, OCD, anxiety, panic, depression, whatever, they're the leaves, they're symptoms. Those symptoms are coming from emotions. Whether that's anger, whether that's fear, whether that's sadness, those symptoms are being driven from emotions. Those emotions, if you now go down to the trunk of the tree, are generally being driven by old events, childhood, school, bullying, whatever, which are then driving patterns. But underneath that, the roots of our tree is our belief system. And fundamentally, if you really want to change yourself, you've got to change your beliefs. So if I had a belief that I'm always ill, I'm always going to be ill. You have a belief that you're always healthy. So you will always be, be healthy. That's your reality. But the biggest story that I work with on most people is I'm not good enough. Because teachers tell you you're not good enough. Parents tell you you're not good enough. It's conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. Because they think they're doing you a favour by, by pushing you and pushing you. But what they're not doing is they're, they're forming a belief. And if you have a belief, that will become your reality. That will become the pattern of your life. Now, I had a fundamental limiting belief, which is I'm not good enough. No one did it to me, I did it to myself, because I always wanted to be as successful as my dad. I never quite felt as though I was, so therefore I kept telling myself I wasn't good enough. I wasn't. If I look at the pattern of my life, Scott, it went like this, up, 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 vroom, feet taken away from me to make me feel not good enough. That wasn't being done to harm me, but it, that's what it thought I believed. Just as you believe a positive thing, a limiting belief will do the same thing. Henry Ford used to have a lovely saying, you either can or you can't. Either way, you're right. And I, I, I love that because it's just, it's so true. The power of belief is phenomenal. People just, you know, but then you come back to mantras. People give you, I oh, do say this mantra over and over and over again and you'll, you'll change. Fundamentally, probably won't because what you haven't done is attached a feeling to it. Okay. If you say, you know, I am healthy and you picture yourself and you imagine yourself and you start creating the feeling of what it feels like to be healthy, then you'll get healthy. The feeling is the power because that's the frequency that you're putting out. It's, it's We're 100%, 90% of our life is driven from our emotional mind, our unconscious mind, and that talks to us through feelings. So if you feel healthy, you'll be healthy. You could, you, sometimes, you, you know, you've got to, placebo yourself a little bit you gotta you gotta fake it till you make it sometimes Mm. but you can change those patterns but the way to change patterns is generate the things not just keep saying it if you're saying it with no intention you're saying it with no feeling it's got no meaning it's got no power so the body doesn't know what it's kind of going yeah you don't really believe that it's kind of like visualizing it as well yeah yeah. picture it feel it you know i'm a big fan of a guy called dr joe Dispenza. if you read his stuff you have a placebo or a guy called dr bruce lipton Uh, it's all about the biology of belief and how we can fundamentally change ourselves through belief but what they'll force home day in day out you've got to you've got to create a new feeling if you don't create a new feeling in your body you've changed nothing You've changed nothing, which is why I think mantras don't work for a lot of people. And rep, you know, we got to a point through repetition. The only way out is through repetition, but the, it, it's repeatedly generating a new feeling. If you generate the new feeling, then you feel the change. 
we're a feeling creature, which is coming back to EMDR. It's why EMDR works. We've got to change the feeling. We've got to change the feeling, whether that's to, you know, being afraid of dogs, snakes, Maltesers or whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's the feeling that's attached to it that's the problem. That's the power of EMDR. It changes the feeling. So it does come into my head again then. Like, so my, my mum has just split up, divorcing, going through a divorce with her partner, uh, ex-partner now. And she literally said to me on the phone yesterday, I'm, I'm fed up of getting treated like shit by men. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to, um, you know, deal with another man for a, a while. But her thought process of what she believes is that she always attracts Arseholes, so she is going to attract arseholes because that's what she believes. And that's if you think of yourself like a radio transmitter, it's probably the easiest way to describe it. That's the frequency you're putting out, that's what you will bring to you. Now, I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but there's there's a chance that that happened to your mum way back in childhood, and that's always become her pattern, whether she observed it or whether she was part of it, you know. I don't know. Her, her basically, her, her father was an asshole. It treated her like uh, her mum like shit, and like and, and the children. Pattern. So, so then the, we're into the pattern break. is repeated, and and not being funny, when she did meet one or two guys after she split up with my father, um, they were actually decent blokes. She found a reason because they not being funny, they wasn't like. The previous it's not it was out of it was something that she didn't know it wasn't normal so she found an issue and then went to somebody that was correct pretty much like my father and her dad well i'm saying my dad and her father you know different people but um, breaking if you don't break the cycle the cycle will continue and you have to break the cycle at an unconscious level you know you know it's not a badge of honor but you know i'm fortunate enough to work with people who are victims of you know severe sexual abuse severe physical abuse you know and and even you know that whether it's emotional physical or sexual it's abuse nonetheless Mm -hmm. and you know they come to me to break the cycle and if you don't break the cycle the cycle continues and and you find yourself back in those situations you've not done it consciously you haven't thought you know i'm going to go and find another asshole you just do because that's what you attract because that's your norm, that's your norm. So if you don't break those cycles and change those patterns, it will continue. And logically, you're kind of going, oh, why do I keep ending up back here? It's because there's an unconscious pattern yeah. or an unconscious belief, and that has to be changed. So, you know, EMDR as a tool is really good for that because she won't know why she's feeling like that. And until we get back to that root, and change that child's perspective if it is indeed that then it's going to be hard to change mm. or she can just stay away from men obviously yeah. that would be the, yeah. that's the other yeah. alternative um do you have a other than yourself because obviously you've just you've shared your story with us but do you have um a success story about a client that you're willing to share not one that comes to mind I'll kind of tell an amusing one, I think, because, you know, I I do, but I'm respectful of those people's stories. But there's a couple of people spring to mind, and one of them was, I'd, 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 I'd call it pre-suicidal, because there's a difference between making up, you know, being 
having done something and not done something in my opinion uh, and, the, and the other is a friend of mine but it, it's interesting when I talk about removing old patterns and old cycles because both of them ended up almost doing the same thing so they both one was in their 40s and um, one was in their 50s one, one a victim of horrific sexual abuse um, and, and, and the other one almost a victim of um, their own success and an old pattern based on um, their mum always telling them that their brother was better than them so they became the most hyper competitive human being in the world and just the biggest people pleaser and you know wouldn't stop doing things to the point where they were damaging themselves a bit like I did but when we stripped everything back and removed all the triggers and we removed all the patterns and the complicated one was probably about eight or nine sessions. So that actually tells you how fast EMDR is in, in some respect. You know, this wasn't years and years. We're still working on a more infrequent basis now because there's a lot of triggers. But both of them, I, I, I always message most of my clients a, a few days later just to check in on them, see how they're feeling, because we've been processing some heavy emotions in those sessions sometimes. And both of them said the same thing. Uh, and one of them said, I'm 18 again. And I said, what do you mean you're 18 again? She said, my behaviour is like the 18-year-old me, because I was subservient before. Everybody walked all over me. I've started, my voice has come back. That voice that was suppressed has come back. And I'm, I'm now got the strength to change my life and move on rather than being a doormat for everybody else. The other one now behaves like an 18 year old, which is highly amusing because they're in their forties and they're driving around with their window open playing a bit of uh, uh, bass music and stuff like that. But they just need to find themselves because their loss of their life started when they were three years old. So they've never known what it's like to be a teenager. They've never known th those things. Now, one of those people is going to start telling their own story. Shortly, uh, uh, I'm at a celebration uh, dinner for them, and they're going to verbalise it to a number of other people. Okay. Which, and actually, the real success story is that person's now training to be a therapist. From being on the brink of not wanting to be here anymore, or definitely not wanting to be here anymore, they're now training to be a therapist. And they're training to be a therapist in a market that's pretty much tapped at the moment because there's a, a certain section of society that really doesn't open up. Uh, so, you know, I've, I think of the last training group, uh, if you talk about success, I had five people, ex-clients. So for me, that's a measure of success. It's getting new people into this business. There is not enough therapists out there. Um, there's not enough people can get help. I'm not blaming the state. It's a it's a funding and a resource issue. Um, you know, people need help. And I think, you know, my daughter is now, is a therapist as well now. She's 25 years old. She specializes in young children and adults. Okay. Because, and that's great, because they resonate with her. Not everybody wants to sit, sit with her. 56 year old bloke really and um, uh, so that you know I, I, I can't I think if you ask me that you know the one thing uh, that there's some complex cases but the fact that people are going on to train speaks volumes mm. and the other side of my business now is I actually now, do now mentor and coach new therapists um, because you know it's daunting you get your first client sat in front of you you don't know what's walking through the door yeah um, or what you're going to be faced with 
but the as I said, the beauty of being an EMDR therapist is you need to know, which is the therapist to some respects protects you a little because mm. you are exposed to some heavy energy at times. Um, That's what I was going to talk to you about. It's like how how do you offload yourself? Like obviously being a therapist. When, um, yeah, it's, it's good. Look, I do some very simple things. Um, I do a lot of grounding. I, I, you know, I do some spiritual practices. So I, I, I do a process every morning, which is called Ground Center Shield, where you know I, I'm always. I've never got anything on my feet. I'm always outside, uh, releasing stuff down. Um, and, you know, I, I call back any energy that I've left anywhere else, and, and and I ask to be protected. I know how to protect myself. Do I fundamentally believe you can block all that energy that's coming into you? Probably not. You've just got to keep clearing yourself out. I've got a good network of colleagues because, you know, yes, I can work on my own self. But sometimes, you know, a surgeon can't fix his own arm. So, you know, if I need a bit of help with something, then I've, I've got a network of people and I'll go and have therapy. I don't, you know, I'm never going to go back to where I was 15 years ago. No. Um, so I'm always going to keep on top of that. So yeah, I go, I go and have EMDR therapy. I, you know, I might go and have a bit of hypnotherapy. Just and all hypnosis is, and there's no mystique about it. It's just dropping your mind to that creative state. It's not you going to sleep like you see, and that just helps us find stuff, resolve stuff. Um, you know, and I spend, you know, I don't see. I only see three people a day because physically, I don't think or mentally, I can do any more than that. I take time for myself. I spend a hell of a lot of time outside. Um, you know, if I need to, I don't, I, it's really odd. People say that, but when I'm working with somebody, I'm not immersed in the person or the story. I'm immersed in helping them solve the problem. So I don't think I actually get too sucked in to who you are or what you are, or what your story is. I'm just trying to help you process the emotion, guide you to processing yeah. the emotion. So I'm not saying at times, you know, I haven't come out of sessions and thought, well, I've taken some of that because I have. Um, but anybody would tell you that. You know, I went on my haircut yesterday. And you know, imagine being a hairdresser, everybody's sitting in there telling you, know, problems, telling you yeah. their problems. You know, I said to her, you need to learn to protect yourself because yeah. you know, those those people are listening to stuff down. So anybody who works with people like that, or you know, you know, if you worked in a hospital or a nurse, or you're exposed to negative energy, yeah, all the time. So you've got to stop that coming into your body the best that you can. Mm. You know, I just do simple. I bubble up. You know, I have an imaginary bubble around myself when I'm working. Sometimes it's a suit of armor, um, but I do it in other situations because I don't want that energy in my body. You know, that's we know. Sort of talking about some spiritual practices, but you know, the most negative place in the world to me is a supermarket. You walk in a supermarket; it's a, one of the world's most depressing yeah. bloody places. You know, no one wants to be there. Everybody's angry, and it just feels horrible. You know, it's, you know, it's not just work. You know, my life is around. I see everything as a ball of energy, and it helps me depersonalize things as well. You know, especially if it's a family member or one of my friends. If they, if I don't want their energy. I don't see them as a person, I just see them as a ball of energy. They're either red or green in my book. You're either coming in or you're not. Now, they don't know I'm doing it, but uh, you just got to learn to do what... You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be deeply spiritual. You know, something's gone on. I might open all the windows and bang the music up just to change the mood in my body. Yeah. 
It's um, a, there's some time, I mean, I don't know if you believe it, but I've, I've heard before that sometimes if, if you're angry, like smile. Yeah. And it will change. It, change the, think of it. Think of your body like just a big chemical soup. So if you're angry, you're flying adrenaline and cortisol into your body to put you into fight mode, probably. It's probably going to numb your hands because it thinks you're going to smack somebody. You know, it might be numbing your face because it thinks you're going to get one back. You know, the body will do what it needs to do to put you, to, to, to help you in that situation, whether it's fight, flight or freeze. There is another one called fawn, which I call flirt, because you can flirt your way out of danger. People yeah. who are massive people pleasers are doing it to keep themselves safe. Yeah. Because then if everybody else is happy, they're happy. So, the, you know, the body's doing what it needs to do in any given situation. Now we can, if it's not listening very loud, the brain's actually quite stupid. Because we can trick it. So like you said, you said, if I smile, I'm starting to generate endorphins. Mm. Or if I get two fingers and gently draw a figure eight on my head, I'm starting to release serotonin into my body. It's a bit like having a massage. If I start to drive a different chemical into my body, it will calm down. That's why everybody goes, oh, breathe when you feel anxious. In for four, hold, I do in for four, hold it for four, and out from eight. But you must breathe from your stomach. If you're breathing from your chest, the body's going to think you're afraid. Yeah. And it's going to turn the feeling up even more. What you're doing, in essence, though, is tricking the body. Because when you take control of your breathing, the brain's going, oh, they're in control. Yeah, you, I'm just going to yes, elaborate on that. Yeah. yeah, you're in control. So you're actually just always tricking the amygdala fundamentally yeah. which is what is the firing mechanism so if you sag if you're feeling anxious just sag your body you know just get really relaxed because the body the, the amygdala thinks you're going to sleep if you sag your body do a figure out in your forehead with two fingers and release some serotonin at the same time start to talk in a soft voice not a panicky look but you're changing all the body chemicals mm. it's a chemical soup and the more you do that the more your body gets used to the new chemicals. If your body's used to adrenaline and cortisol, it will become addicted to it. And it'll want that. It'll want yeah, that. It'll, it'll, it will generate thoughts or feelings to drive more adrenaline and cortisol into your body because yeah. your cells have got addicted to that chemical. So if there's none in the docking stations or the receptors of your cells, it will drive more adrenaline and cortisol. It will just create a thought or a feeling. That makes It just makes so much sense when you're... When you're explaining it like that, it just... we're cellular creatures. We have to remember that. You've got, I can't remember, I think it's 50 trillion cells in your body. Each cell holds 1.4 volts of electricity. That's 70 trillion volts in your body. So we don't need to worry about the energy crisis. It's just like that. We could just plug ourselves in, yeah. we'll be okay. Now we choose how that energy vibrates, positively or negatively. That's a choice. We control our mind, it doesn't control us. It might feel like it controls us, sometimes we, have, we can take control of it or control of any situation. Each of those cells has receptors from messages from those chemicals. So if my cells have changed to deal with more adrenaline and cortisol, it's going to demand more adrenaline and cortisol. And where's the, where's the good feeling chemicals going to go? Because there's less space for it to go. So we have to slowly calm our body down. Then our cells, thankfully, reproduce albeit as mirror cells will start to reproduce as they're going back to almost like a childhood state where they're perfectly ready for the right chemical suit you've got to change the chemistry if you change the chemistry then the body will react to it what's that and the reason you know if you 
why EMDR is so important or any other therapy that's removing old feelings. If you don't change those old stories and those old feelings, they're like a dripping tap of adrenaline and cortisol going into your body. You're getting triggered more than you need to be. Because mm. we don't really need that much adrenaline and cortisol. We need it for a bit of excitement. You know, I had a little bit of adrenaline when I came and talked to you today because yeah. I needed it. Yeah. I need that little bit of excitement. Or I need it to find my fight and flight mechanism. Because one thing I say to people, if you're feeling anxious, change the story. Just tell yourself, but in a, not in a very loud, excited voice. Tell yourself you're excited. Because what's the difference between a feeling of excitement and a feeling of fear? Nothing. They're the same chemical. It's just how you look at it. It's how you look at yeah. it. Yeah. It's the story. We're a product of the story we tell ourselves. It, it's chemistry. It's, it, it's, it's not just woo-woo world. Well, this is chemistry. We're a cellular creature driven by an unconscious mind that talks to us through emotions. The only thing that's changed in history, the body hasn't changed, the brain hasn't changed, the mind hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is the environment that we live in and how we think. Yeah. Nothing's changed from a caveman. Because if you think about your fight and flight mechanism, for example, it doesn't know that Nike exists. It still thinks we're a caveman. Yeah. So when you're in fight and flight, if it's a situation that the body believes you should run from, it's pumping adrenaline and cortisol into your legs so that you can run faster. It's probably numbing your feet at the same time because it thinks you're going to run across rocky ground. The limbic system is prehistoric. It, it, it's very basic, but it needs to be to keep us alive. The problem is the environment that we live in. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before we started the podcast, that I'm very much the more I listen and read it's we're we're still very primal and we both you said it's like the environment we live in that's moved so fast but yet we try and we've got to recognize that we are still very primal of course in, and you know we need to be out like I was going to say to you about like outside of therapy what do you believe that people should do more and you said about grounding which I'm a like recognize how good grounding is and I take I do saunas and cold showers and get, you know I work outside so I get the sunlight and I try to be you know, try to find all them natural... Uh, do you know what? I remember when I was recovering myself, you know, people like, meditate, meditate, mindfulness, meditate, mindfulness. I have a simple... It's brilliant. It's become a massive industry. But what happens is it tends to drive a lot of self-sabotage in people because they'll, they'll put their headphones on and they'll say, right, I need to do this meditation. It's an hour long. You try and keep your mind quiet for an hour. You know, you probably need to be at like sort of Dalai Lama status to be able to do stuff like that. That takes a lot of practice and a lot of repetition. So let's, let's just sort of, I like to simplify everything. Just do what brings you joy. That's meditative enough. Like a f um, flow state. Yeah just, of, yeah, just do what makes you happy. You don't need to lie on a bed. For, yes, you've got to calm the system down. Absolutely, and if you can learn to do that by being present, and then, oh, you've got to be present. Oh, God, I can't be present. You can go for a five-minute walk and just look at everything as though it's the first time you've seen it in your life. You then start to become a little bit more in tune with your environment around you, not your thoughts. But it takes practice. Be patient with yourself. Be compassionate yeah. to yourself. Not, oh, I can't do this. Oh, here's Henry Ford. You're right. Yeah. Um, so just do, you know, I... I do a lot of fishing and 
for me, that's meditative enough. You know, I'm doing something, you know, I'm with some people that I enjoy being with, we have a laugh, but I'm staring at a fixed point for quite long periods of time. And I didn't realise that actually I, my body completely calms down in that time. And it's just something I enjoy doing. You know, a lot of people take up golf, that tends to get them quite stressed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, if, it, if it makes you happy, just do it. Yeah. I think we get caught up in these what everybody perceives you should do. And that's right. If you're a Tibetan monk and you've got hours to sit on the top of a mountain, brilliant. If you've got a, if you choose to live in the environment that we live in, in the Western world particularly, and, and even you know large parts of the Eastern world, you've got to be able to run in that world. You, you know, you've got, to, you've got to go to work for as long as you need to go to work to change, unless you're going to change your whole lifestyle. But in those moments, just do what brings you joy. And if you can get five minutes... 10 minutes to just sit and be, then be. You know, there's a lovely saying, and it resonates with me quite a lot. Um, I think it was Deepak Chopra, I might be wrong. Mm. We are human beings, not human doings. So stop doing and start being. And people say, well, what does that mean? It's just, it's just, when you're doing something, just focus on what you're doing, one thing at a time. You know, and I used to be terrible for it. I remember it was only a few years ago. I'm not saying I'm, you know, it's some sort of Dalai Lama. I was cutting the grass, emptying my pond, washing the car, and doing something else in the garden all at the same time. And they're all big jobs. And I walked around the front. I thought the car's got half full of soap on it. The pond was half empty. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? I just got lost in a list of tasks rather than just enjoying what I was doing in the moment. So you know, people say be present, just simple things like when you're washing your hands, focus on the feeling of the soap. Yeah. You've been present in that moment. Keep it simple. Yeah. I mean, I think it's proven now that actually we can't multitask. Absolutely can't. Brain can't do you, it. Because you're not, you can't focus on more Apart than one Apart from thing. ladies, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't focus on more on one thing at the same time. So there was an, I read a book called Stolen Focus a very good book and they were saying um, he was saying in his book that when we're driving and our phone even beeps because we're not even reading it your focus shifts and it takes around they reckon it takes around 27 minutes to get back to the state of focus that you was on before yeah. that phone beep so you can't multitask i find it better now to be more present but because i sort of know what makes me present i think i said on the last podcast i said me sitting there with a colouring book, like my little and will get at the table and she'll have a colouring book and I'll have a colouring book. And I'll sit there and I know it sounds weird and probably mental to some people or stupid, but me colouring is me being present, you know, or after dinner, me and the little and will go for a walk, just just round here. But if I asked her the same questions in my home environment, I'll probably, I won't be present and I'll be thinking of other stuff Correct. that that I need to do around the house or I need to do tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But when we go for that walk, I'm there with her and not thinking about that. So just I just so I know to get out of my own environment would make me, you know, for that walk would make me present and actually listening to my child rather than Correct. You've got to take yourself, break old patterns, break old habits, do mm. things differently. Yeah. Yeah, because we are creatures of habit. You know, it's it's and the body becomes autonomically conditioned. I remember when I gave up smoking, you know, like I said, I stopped like that on a, on a, on a, on the day. Never put another cigarette in my mouth. Never had a desire for a cigarette in my mouth because I changed the unconscious story as well. But fundamentally, for a month, 
every time I put my dressing gown on, my hand would tap the dressing gown pocket because that's what it, it always used to check that they were there. And it took me a long time to retrain my arm to stop doing that. I just found it funny, but I couldn't actually stop it doing it. Yeah. So we have to change our habits. You know, if we're going to do something new, we need to find a new routine, a new pattern, or indeed not keep doing the same thing over and over again. You know, I encourage people uh, to do things differently all the time because the more you do things differently, even if you drive a different way to work every day, your body isn't conditioned to that. So if you then have to change your route in life, your body's used to going a different way and changing different routes. So you can break your patterns, but you have to do things almost repetitively. So I'm kind of contradicting myself, but I repetitively do things differently yeah. so that the body doesn't like change. It doesn't like it. So the more you get your body used to change, when you need to make a change, because we're always going to have to adapt and adjust, it's far easier. You won't get that uncomfortable feeling that you get when something's new if you're doing new stuff all the time. Yeah, and it's like, uh, it's sort of a, the, the self-discipline sort of needs to take over then. I mean, I... I know I vape now, which is one thing I'm going to be coming to you to start. <laughs> but I actually did smoke for a long time, and I'd give up uh, for two and a half years um, without like nicotine patches or anything. I went cold turkey. I actually read a book from um, by Alan Carr. Alan Carr. Yeah, not the comedian, if anybody's listening. <laughs> um, and that really helped me. But so all, I mean, I I, like, I found it was the habits. So sure. like you, what you associate with smoking. So I stopped drinking alcohol because mm. I associate going to the pub with smoking Correct. you know I'll start after I'd had my um, sandwiches at work or lunch I would go straight back to work because after I'd finished them usually I would sit and have a cigarette Correct. before I went back to work so it was just finding yeah, you know, the sound of the, the smoking habits. even though I said I didn't want one you know I used to do every smoke most smokers do I used to get up put my dressing gown on go downstairs have a cigarette have a cup of coffee go outside so the day I gave up I got up had a shower and got dressed before I went downstairs. I changed the body parts. I changed the routine. Like, yeah. It's exactly the same as you said. Yeah. You've got to you've got to get used to a new routine. But it's, if you understand that when you change your routine or you change your pattern, you will feel a little bit uncomfortable. Hmm. The body will feel a little because it doesn't like it. It doesn't know what's going on. So actually, it's just giving yourself permission to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Oh. Okay, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable. It's because I'm doing something new. And you'll do it over and over. You'll do it enough where it kind of becomes an unconscious, a new unconscious pattern. So it's just, I think that's the, a lot of the time, I suppose if you want to use the word therapy, but change doesn't work for people is because they go, oh, this feels uncomfortable. So it's not working. Yeah. If you're feeling uncomfortable, it actually is working because you're going through change. If you then accept that while I go through change, I will feel uncomfortable until I do it enough that I can do it without thinking about it, then the change will happen. But it's the uncomfortable phase that makes us go, oh, this isn't working, so I'll go back to how I was. Mm. This doesn't work. And then you're back to Henry Ford. You're yeah. right. Belief. The people expect sort of a change like, you know, it's we easy. In, of course we do. You think about society today, it's instantaneous. Everything's easy. Yeah, I say, I, no, I'm not saying, the, you know, I sit at home, I want something, what do I do? Bought from Amazon. Yeah. When is it on my door? Next morning. I expect my supermarket to be open 24-7. I expect 24-7 access to everything. I'm conditioned to fast. Yeah. 
I'm conditioned to quick fix. That isn't how the mind works. Yes, we can get, don't believe me, we can get some real quick change with EMDR. You can feel a hell of a lot better. But what we need to do is then do the work to break the old patterns. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't do the homework and you don't, you know, there's a chance that old stuff can start to creep. Um, or there's a belief system that, you know, or there's a part of us that isn't quite resolved. It, or, you know, we need to work that through. But you know, we can, you know, what EMDR is so powerful at is, is actually making you feel a damn sight better really quickly. It's then up to you whether you want to make long-lasting change with certain things. Again, you're talking about the environment we're in, and I kind of worry about like my little ones nine, and the environment they're in is so much faster than, and I, we, I know we're in that environment now, but it's being imprinted on them at a younger age than we ever had. Um, you know, like I mean, example, we were sitting there watching TV and we was watching something live. You know, you couldn't forward it, or you know, and an advert come yeah. on, and my little and said, "You can forward it." And it was like, no, you have to sit and watch this. It's live. You know, they're sitting watching 30-second TikTok clips. I tell you, the amount of things I've undone from... I I remember working with a young lady. She had an an eating disorder. And when we... There was one part of her that would completely over-exercise. And, you know, it wouldn't let her sit down. You know, she'd try and sit down. This thing was, no, you've got to go for a walk. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. she, She was, you know, very, very thin. And quite ill with it, but it would wouldn't let her stop exercising or, or doing something physical. And there was another part that controlled her eating, so that they were kind of working together to achieve the same thing. Because they thought sounds bizarre, but the unconscious never does anything without positive intention. They both think they're trying to make her happy by being thin. Fundamentally, that's their intention, even though it's quite damaging. Where did she learn those behaviours? The exercise TikTok, the food Google. And she said, when we got to them, she went, oh my God, I remember watching that. Mm. I remember watching that. And all that learned behavior, and you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't use social media, I just know how to use it. Yeah. Social media scares the living hell out of me because the amount of people that are sat there day in, day out, going, I'm not good enough because someone else has got this, or so this should be better. It's driving that not good enough belief at a scale, you know. If we think we've just had a pandemic with a virus, there's a mental health pandemic coming that's mm. far bigger and far scarier because the conditioning isn't just like, you know, I'm lucky uh, in, in in this life, you know, I'm 56 now, I grew up in a time where we didn't have that stuff and, you know, everybody goes, oh, no, I was a lad, you know, I was on my bike and I was doing it. Well, we didn't really have a choice. Yeah. You know, had we had TikTok, we'd probably been watching it. But I was lucky and I feel blessed for that. But... I still managed to give myself a not good enough story. Yeah. But that's by me repetitively telling myself something. You imagine looking at that, and I don't know how many hours people scroll and look at stuff for, and that story's probably going into your head five, six hundred times a day. You're going to form that belief really quickly. When it's a belief, you're in trouble. Mm. I also can do all the Zen stuff you want. Hypnotherapy, even EMDR, or mindfulness or meditation if you're sat on a limiting belief you're sat on the arse of an elephant that's actually going the other way to everything you're trying to achieve because beliefs aren't that powerful look at you you're never ill Mm. because of a belief yeah for example 
beliefs of the power base but you've got to undo the stuff above that before you can get to your beliefs yeah you've got to change your belief system fundamentally and EMDR is really good for that because we can get into what caused that belief remove those feelings from that old belief and then start to reframe that new belief it's yeah I mean it's like I always say if, if you're if you don't like your job and then you go on to Instagram or TikTok or whatever and you see that somebody's in you know the Maldives or anything like that and you're at work hating your job and you see them and you and then why am I there you know that can yeah I'm not good enough I'm not good enough it's, you know why and you get and it that stems creates a belief in your head and it's just and and it, so it's just damaging very damaging mm. very damaging and you know you know, we don't want to annihilate ourselves. You've just got to learn to observe yourself. If you can step out of yourself and watch yourself, you can see your patterns, which is, I suppose I'm going to contradict. I'm not a big fan of journals, okay, because I think in the wrong hands, I'm a big fan of them, but in the wrong hands or with the wrong instruction, they can be quite limiting and dangerous. So if you're going upstairs and you're writing another shit day today, mm. what have you just done? You've just reinforced your story and you've made it worse. So I'm not saying journaling's bad. What I encourage people to do is journal in the third person. So you're writing about somebody else. Okay. So if you're writing about somebody else, you can start to see that person's patterns, but you've not got in the car with them. And you can start to say, oh my God, yeah. And if you watch, look at it over a period of time, you know, if it, he did this or they did this, you're not, you haven't got in the car. You haven't, you're not driving along with it because once you're in a car, you're in it. Yeah. It's hard to get out of that. I guess it's finding what works for you. I yeah. mean, no. I, st- I started journaling um, a little few the other year, and I, I, you know, I didn't find it worked for me. But then I, I, I don't know if I wrote. I can't remember now. But well, I found, yeah, if you write about yourself, yeah. you're like, oh, you start self sabotage. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, it's uh, yeah, people talk about you know, and I'm the biggest advocate of this in the world. The most powerful drug that exists is the word gratitude. If you feel grateful. You release oxytocin, adred- uh, oxytocin, endorphin, serotonin, and dopamine into your body. You get the best chemical release it by feeling grateful. So gratitude journals are very yeah. powerful. But you've got to feel grateful, not just write down, thanks, mum. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. not feel it. Yeah. So, you know, those practices are good. Gratitude first thing in the morning, gratitude last thing at night. Good, because you get a good chemical release. But if you understand why... So I spend a lot of time explaining to people why you're doing what you're doing not just write a journal or do this because if you understand why you're doing something then you'll do it you're more likely to do it okay i'm getting a chemical release that's going to change that and it's going to benefit me long term you know that's that's far more powerful than just i just write a gratitude journal you'll feel better yeah um the same as like say example you go to the gym you don't just go to the gym. You go to the gym because you want to look healthier, feel healthier. So it's the same with a gratitude. Sort yeah, of get some endorphins. Yeah, I mean, know. I started doing a gratitude journal and I was, and I got stuck on what to be grateful for. And then um, somebody said to me, just, it don't have to be something like, because I was sitting there, laying there at night thinking, nothing's amazing has gone on today for me to be grateful. You know, because like, you think you have Having to... Having two hands. You have, yeah, you, have, you feel you have to be something amazing has gone on. But they said, do it as simple as, I woke up in the morning. Yeah, I've, I've got two hands. Yeah. I can breathe, I can see, yeah. I can hear. Quite, you know, I do a gratitude journal. My granddad's in it all the time. You know, it, it just, it, it doesn't matter. Because what, if you think about what you're, 
what your ultimate goal is to generate that feeling of gratitude. If it's a feeling, they're, they're the game changers. So whilst I'm here talking about all the negative feelings that I take, you know, we have to work on replacing them with a different feeling. Because if you don't replace it with a different feeling, you're going to leave a gaping. You know, when I work with people, in essence, I'm changing a part of them. Does that make sense? That part yeah. will be doing a job. There's a part of you that vapes that needs to change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that part, if we don't replace that with something, that's going to leave a hole. So something else will jump into that hole. It might be chocolate biscuits. I don't yeah. know. It will be something else. So we need to replace that with a healthy part. We need to give your vaping a promotion. Is it like when people sort of, um, I can't think of the word, but like they say, I'm, uh, I've got an addictive personality. Okay. Does, is it, I, so my immediate response is, so you're right. Yeah. Because you believe that. Yeah, that's what I mean. I believe. So I, I, you know, I believe, I've had a gambling addiction. I used to smoke. And now I'm vaping. I, you know, it's like I need, because I, I believe I've got a, an addictive personality. I need something to be addicted to. Yeah. Is that, that's that, just that's a what belief. I believe. It's just yeah. a belief. So again, it's just changing. Or when, I, when people come see me, I kind of draw a graph and I say, look, this is what's happened to you in life. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened. It didn't process. So therefore, once we start to sort of fill up with emotions and old stories, your processing capability, just like a computer, is going to get worse and worse and worse, which is why we tend to sort of, can sort of burn out in our, 40s 50s or whatever because it's just stacked and stacked and stacked so but equally if you've got a red line at the top of that graph which is your tolerance to stress what happens is as stuff sort of builds up in our life our tolerance level drops alongside that so then but the other part of your unconscious that its job is to help you the more stressed you've got, if you've told yourself vaping makes me feel better, gambling makes me feel better, whatever, running, whatever, doesn't matter, that part of you will turn up because it thinks it's helping you. So, you know, people say I've got an addictive person. I don't think you really have. What you've got is a shitload of stuff that hasn't been dealt with. Therefore, that part of you that you've done to help you cope will turn up even more. So if we, if we you know, go through this emotional detox, as I'll call it, you know, you didn't, you weren't born smoking, you weren't no. born gambling, you, you weren't born doing, you learned how to do it to make yourself feel better. But once you've told that part of you it makes yourself feel better, it will just do it. So, I, you know, I'd always argue no one's got an addictive personality, but born that way, it's not genetic, you've learned how to do it. Mm. And the more stressed you are, or the more emotional stuff, you know, it might be, it might be a story of loss. You might have lost all sorts of people in your life. And, but those parts will then turn up to do that job. They're just helping you. They think they're helping you. The unconscious, I always say this, never does anything without a positive intention. Um, I ain't going to keep you much longer because I know you've got rugby to go to. <laughs> um, lastly, which I ask everybody on, that comes on this podcast is what advice would you give to your younger self? If you had little Mike here now, 10 years old. For me, that's really simple. It's, it's just, it's so, for me, this whole, is to not listen to the education system and learn about the emotional mind and learn about, you know, all these patterns and all these behaviours and, you know, we're just not taught this stuff. 
you know, and it's and it's. I suppose there's one piece of belief: don't believe everything you're told. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, it, it is. It's just that whole lack of. God, if I knew back then what I now know, I'm not. I don't know whether my life would have turned out differently or not. But one thing I would have done was damn well parented a lot differently than I did. Mm. Um, so yeah, it would probably been to, uh, to to perhaps have a little bit of a, more of an Eastern philosophy on life than a Western philosophy on life. Would that be like more time? I just think, like you said, about language and about programming, you know, and and you know how our own language affects ourselves and our, and our children and all those people around us, you know. It's just so easy to form a belief in somebody by just saying the wrong thing over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, I think if I was to, if little Mike was here, I'd be like, you know, two pieces of advice: be careful what you wish for, and you know, keep your language clean to yourself. Yeah. And not form those programs. And if you're feeling out of sorts, damn well go and get help. Because it's it's there, and you can release emotions in lots of different ways, quite simple ways, if you catch it early enough. Yeah. When it becomes deeply ingrained, then you you do need somebody to help you. Yeah. So I still do. Surgeon can't fix his own arm. Well, like the saying is, um, with with a flower, you you don't water a flower when it's dead. You keep watering a flower. Mm. So you don't don't wait until you're broken to go and see a therapist or work on yourself you know if you've got little early signs or just or just if you can just keep it you know a regular sort then, of thing you know you look at and I'm not decrying it in any way because we, we like to look and feel good how many billions of pounds or dollars or however you want to look at it is spent on the beauty industry to make ourselves feel better healing comes from within not from without mm. So, you know, if you feel good inside, you don't perhaps need to spend so much on the outside. Um, so I'm not advocating where people spend their money, but if, you know, if it was to me, you know, my, my spare income goes on my, my mental well-being. Yeah. You know, you can tell by the clothes I wear and I don't spend a lot on that. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is that. I, I, I love that saying, healing comes from within, not from without. You, you won't get healed from external factors. It's like your mental health. Like I mean, if you were asked, you know, billionaires that are on their deathbed, what would they want? And they would their answer would be health. And 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 health is wealth. So health is wealth. But if you manage your stress levels, because your stress levels are bad for your health, so it's you've just got to work on your. Just go back to that cellular analogy. You're you're not just dam you're damaging your cells. Yeah. And we're made of cells. 50 trillion cells in your body, what are cells made of? Atoms, what are atoms? Energy, just a ball of energy. People say it all the time, but actually it's true. It is true. I mean, you can walk in a room and you can feel an energy change. It's just energy. It's just energy shifts. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel blessed. You know, I, I, you asked me how I started this job, but you have to fall to grow. 
sometimes. But definitely, I'll I, put, yeah. And I fell, and I fell hard. Um, and I feel blessed that I'm sort of taking myself to wherever I go next, wherever we all choose to believe that is in a much better place. So wherever wherever I end up next, it, it will be with a whole lot more knowledge. Mm. Um, and hopefully a much stronger, you know, sort of understanding of, of, of what it is. Because the beliefs that are bestowed upon us aren't for our benefit. They're for the benefit of the people who are really making the money. Mm. And that's not, I'm not trying to pretend I'm some sort of conspiracy theorist because I'm not because that's just the way it is and I don't yeah. really care um, but you want to benefit yourself not everybody else got to be a bit more selfish in life and do the but do the boy do the right thing for yeah. yourself yeah for you for you and, and your people around you yeah you know I always and I say this to, there's a lot of negativity about in the world fear creates wealth there's no shadow of a doubt or fear creates control of course it does well, we have bad news, we don't have good news. But fear, fear is what, you know, what controls and gets people to do things. I'm not an anti this or an anti that, I just see how it works. You know, when I'm afraid of something, I, I go into a control mode. Um, so we just have to learn that, you know, the only thing that is important is, is love and gratitude. And I, you know, I say this to somebody, a few people all the time, nothing can exist in the presence of love. Nothing can exist. You know, for good there is evil, for, for dark there is white, but the darkness won't come if you live in love and gratitude, because it doesn't like it. And fear can't come into that. So... You know, if, if, if there's one thing I work at is trying to, as much as I possibly can, living in love and gratitude, not fear of whatever, whether it's fear of money or fear of my career or fear, you know, it's, it's just, everything else will flow. If you believe it flows, it will flow. Mm. So, but it's taken me a long journey and a lot of crap to get rid of. And if it hadn't have been free MDR, I wouldn't be hit where I am today, for sure, mentally. So... Well, Mike, yes. this has been it's been honour and it's it's been great great talk and just no, to thank you. So understand to. about EMDR a lot more. I mean, I've no, I've been I've had a few therapy sessions with you, mm -hmm. but it's just nice to listen to and understand actually Thanks. what no, um, what it is. Thank you very much. Um, how can anybody find you? That would just my website, which is www.mikehalkins.co.uk or. Uh, I remember my mobile number, 07943038320. You know, I'm happy to talk to anybody and, you know, I'll give you my time, my knowledge, you mm. know, it's for me. Well, I'll put your um, website and uh, your and your contact details in the description. But, you know, hopefully that, um, you know, somebody listening to this has sort of resonated with anything we spoke to today, about mm -hmm. today. And um, yeah, like just, to, we've got to break cycles. It's as simple as that. I yeah. think... We're going back to what you said earlier. That there, I watched a, a program on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've seen mm -hmm. it, and it's that's to do with these top people at Google and Facebook, and you know all the social media things that we use. And um, they're saying that there's a crisis coming, and and it, and there, and every interviewer said to these these people like, um, "What if it doesn't change?" And everyone answered, "It has to." It's without you know I'm you know I'm 
I don't know where my career will go um, over time. But, you know, I would say to my daughter, she, she's a practicing therapist, exactly the same as me. She's 25 years old. She's got a job for life. Mm. She's got a job. There def- there's not many jobs for life anymore, but she's definitely got a job for life because it's, it's, it's already in. It's, it's, the damage is done mm. to a lot of people. And it's, like, going back earlier, it's, and it's being created to, uh, to like, say, to, you know, my little and nine. So go, it's being created already. Yeah, but hopefully, you know, you've learned what you've learned. Yeah. You're going through that journey, so you'll instill those... Oh, you know, that yeah. those, those different beliefs in yeah. Um So, yeah, you know, all power to you. Yeah. Well, cheers very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks You're very welcome. Much. Thank you. Well, that was the end of the episode, and I want to thank you for listening. I hope you took some from our conversation today. Please follow or subscribe. The link to the Instagram page will be in the description. Please feel free to DM me if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast.